Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page. And for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by Carmen Preci. How's it going, Carmen? Pretty good, John. Glad to be back on the show. That's yeah, good to have you back. Yeah, it's been a while. We've both been very... Glad we uh, sorted out my payment, you know, thing. I, I wanted to raise, damn it. Oh, yeah. Well, this is what happens when you get pushy, isn't it? Geez, I don't know. Yes, yes it is. I don't you, know. You almost black. You're blacklisted. Me. Oh, I don't know. It's terrible. But no, actually, truth be told, we've both been really busy at work, actually, because, uh, oh, yes, work, work, work and all that. And I'm about to be disappearing off on holidays. But anyway, that's all right. So, I... Uh, because of your um, experience with uh, electronics and your background, I thought a perfect uh, topic for us to talk about would be noise. Ooh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, my uh, statistics math isn't really up to snuff since I left school, so oh, let's see what I can do here. Oh, that's okay. It's all good. Um, I mean, the thing the thing about noise, though, is, well, you can't escape it. Got to start with that. You can't escape noise, but it, it, it follows you from one room to the next or something like that. But anyway, um, how about you start off with um, how would you define noise? Sure. So noise, by definition, um, it has to be from a stochastic or random process. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, it's become a catch-all term nowadays. But although you're measuring, you know, signals, clocked signals where they shouldn't be, or you're hearing a repetitive audio audible sound. Um, those aren't noise because they're not random. You can trace them back to a source and, you know, it's just coupling or radiated emissions, something like that. Yeah, exactly. I find it very frustrating how a lot of people will say things like, um, yes, this, um, we've got a 50 hertz noise on our, on our audio or something like that. It's like, well, technically that's, that's not a noise. I mean, it is a noise, but it is not noise. Okay. It's, it's interference technically. But uh, it's an it's a sound you do not intend, but it has a regular, it has a regular source. But anyhow, all right. So uh, I'm I'm guilty of it too from time to time. I'll look at one of our feedback traces and say, "Ooh, that was a poor layout." There's a lot of phase noise on there. When really I know exactly where it came from because it came from our phase mode. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I understand. I, I guess it's fr- kind of frustrating, and when I do that, I slap myself as well. But you know, as long as you get the message to who it needs to be. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, know, and, and who needs to receive it. Well, this is it. Okay. So this is, it comes back to um, we're trying to get a message from point A to point B, whatever those points may be, whatever that message might be, and so on and so forth. Whatever the transmission medium might be, and I, I always love the expression "pulling a signal out of the noise," even though technically that's like, well, in many respects, I don't know. Is that ridiculous? It kind of is, I think, because you don't really pull signals out. Of it. I conjure up images of someone like with gloves trying to pull a signal out. It's like there's a bed of noise and they're trying to pull it out. It's like, it's, mm, okay. I, I have weird images in my head, clearly. Anyhow. We won't, we won't touch on that. The psychology episodes for later in the year. <laughs> oh, God. That would be a very scary episode for us, I'm just saying. But uh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I could record from the couch next to me. I just lay down like we're in the you know, psychologist's office. Now, where did you first hear the noise, Carmen? Anyhow. It all started when I was young. Oh, dear. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay, so uh, here's the thing. <sighs> Signals and noise. So, of course, people will hear about this thing called signal-to-noise ratio. 
And ultimately, I guess the thing with signal to noise is it's a double. It's a ratio. To, it says what it is on the box. It's your the ratio of the maximum signal intensity to your uh, to your noise intensity. And ultimately, if you want to improve getting your, your chance of a message getting from point A to point B, you got two options. You can improve the sensitivity of your receiver or you can increase the amount of power in the signal that you're transmitting. So ultimately, you can increase your signal or you can, uh, well, essentially make it more sensitive and less noisy at the receiver end. So I guess when I say signal, I mean that's the information we're trying to transmit. doesn't matter how it's transmitted, whether it's narrow band, broadband, you know, spread spectrum, doesn't really matter, you know, just a signal. for the purposes of this episode, we won't go any further, but, you know, let's just say that's that's what it is. But receiver sensitivity comes back to how much you can amplify that signal and how much noise it amplifies in the process, but also how much noise it introduces in that process. And that's a part that that I guess that I want to explore more is, is the fact that, that noise, noise is that the part of that that you can't quite escape. So the way I think about noise is people say, well... You know, if only we had like a, a lower noise amplifier, then you know, we'd be able to get away from, you know, we can, we, can, we can amplify this signal, we can amplify this audio, we can amplify this radio signal, whatever. If only we had a, a more selective, more sensitive receiver and we can amplify it and, and, and separate that from the noise. And I guess the thing is you can't really escape. You can't escape noise because noise is sort of the, to me, it's the electrical equivalent of friction. You'll always have friction you know, of some kind, like mechanical friction, either uh, aerodynamic friction, I guess you call that drag, or I mean, ultimately, though, because air acts as a fluid, then that's actually a fluidic friction. Then then you've got kinetic or otherwise known as dynamic friction, um, sliding, rolling, static, different kinds, but you've always got friction. Ultimately, you can never overcome it. There's no such thing as a frictionless anything, even in space. There is in physics one classes. Oh, that's just not fair though <laughs> that's not ideal no God, there's technically even friction in space there's still a molecule every cubic meter or whatever the heck it is there's no such thing as a perfect vacuum so technically you've always got some kind of you've got some kind of resistance so you can't get away from that even in space just those hydrogen atoms really slow our space shuttles down. damn straight when i'm going at warp speed that hydrogen really pisses me off Anyhow, you can't. You can never clean it off the windshield. <laughs> that's what's causing all those marks. Now I get it. Okay, so um, actually, funnily enough, though, we're just talking about fluidic friction. If you want, there's a great podcast that I've heard of. It's called Nutrium, and it's actually on this network. So, if no way, yeah, I know. How about that? Well, eh? Wait, there's more. <laughs> there is always more on the Engineer Network. And if you want to learn more about Bernoulli's equation and all that other great um, fluid dynamics stuff, there's a couple of really great episodes of Nutrium about that. So there'll be links in the show notes if you're interested in that sort of thing. Very cool stuff. Anyway, so uh, but as I said before, noise and interference two very different things. So. I guess there's many different kinds of interference and I guess the one that comes to mind is it's, it's like it's an adjacent signal. Technically, it's not noise, but it's interfering with the signal that you're trying to extract. And uh, it takes me back to, uh, do you remember the Artemis P-cell? Um, Steve Perlman's, um, well, I don't want to call it. Oh, yes, I remember that episode. You did it uh, a long time it was, ago. It was about two years ago. Yeah, that's right. And it's still, yeah, that was one of my favorite pragmatic episodes. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, well, that was episode you're 16, I think it was. Yes, that's right. One man's hopes and dreams of an RF bubble. And that's uh, still a hope and a dream, by the way, at least in the real world. I think it works okay in a lab. But uh, anyway, so I guess the, the the thing that comes to mind when we think about 
interference and so on is that there was a lot of misinformation going around about P-cell. And again, like I said, where that works in the real world, you know, I'll be impressed when they can make it work in, in the real world. But anyway, and, and there were expressions that were used in some of the reporting at the time, tech reporting, like it used interference to its advantage. But then you'd read other articles that would, would mutate that to it uses noise to its advantage. And it's like, well, no, they're, that's not possible because that's not what they're doing. Yeah, but anyway, either way, whether it does either is open to debate, I guess. Maybe I'll revisit P-Cell one day if they ever get it to work in the real world and maybe I should just leave that there. So rather than me keep talking for a minute, um, what about uh, let, let, let's, let's just focus on noise and solely noise and only noise just for the moment. And I think that they refer to noise in different colors. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. So just because we say noise has to be random, it does not mean that it all has to be the uniform white noise static on the TV, you know, stereotypical image that gets conjured up when you think about noise. Um, There are colors and it refers to how they react over frequency. And some of the most common uh, colors of noise are white noise, which is flat when you look across a frequency band. There's pink noise, which follows a one over F characteristic and decreases with frequency. Brown or red noise follows 1 over F squared, so it drops off even faster over frequency. And then uh, opposite pink and brown noise, there's blue and violent. Blue and violet. You said violent? Violent noise? Violent noise. Oh, no. Yes, it it wrecks your receiver. That's like really scary, man. I don't want any of that stuff. No, no. You really got to filter that out. And uh, those, those two colors increase with respect to F and F squared. Awesome. And then there's there's some other random noise like gray noise and uh, I, I can't remember. There there's oodles of noise. Noise, <laughs> a whole, noise. A whole rainbow of noise. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wide spectrum of noise. Oh, dear me. Yes, violent noise. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to let you let that one down <laughs> either. Okay, cool. Hey, that's fine. It's on our greatest hits track. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Anyway, okay. So... Sorry, keep going. The noise we're going to be talking about today Mm. is AWGN, which stands for Additive White Gaussian Noise. And breaking that down into digestible chunks, clearly I have a voice for radio today. (laughs) It's okay. Additive means it's on top of any noise intrinsic to the system, whether it's a control system, electronic circuit, or information system. Um, you know, you have your clock noise, your jitter, your whatever we've been talking about already, and then the noise that is just there. It's a very meta concept. Far out, man. <laughs> yes. White, white, which means it's uniform across the frequency band of interest, and Gaussian. Uh, so the noise follows a normal distribution when you look at it uh, in the time domain, and it has an average value of zero. So in electronics terms, it means there's no DC component to the noise signal. Yeah, Gaussian always um, took me a while to get my head around how that was possible. But um, yeah, I've, I finally got my head around that after a few years playing with uh, playing with uh, noise generators and such. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it is fascinating. Um, I, I love the term AWGN uh, because it's just it covers a multitude of uh, of issues relating to noise. Once you get your head around that, I think you can get your head around noise. I, I just barely scratched the surface of trying to model noise and go over that in school, and it was it got pretty trippy pretty fast. Oh yeah, but it's all good. So, oh dear, there there was something else that um, 
that you've mentioned that uh, that Bears mentioned something to, that uh, NASA launched. Was it? Oh yes, um, <clears throat> the uh, Cosmic Background Explorer or COBE mission. Uh, it was launched back in November of 1989, and the purpose of this mission was to map the fluctuations of the background radiation across the known skies, and help improve our understanding of the early universe. And what it discovered was that a background radiation is real. And that um, the white Gaussian noise that we're going to be talking about is in the very fabric of the universe itself and is actually left over from the Big Bang. Uh, why it's left over from the Big Bang? You're going to have to ask someone smarter than me or who has more physics knowledge. But it, it's everywhere. Um, and the static you see on a TV, an old TV, or the hiss of an AM radio, um, that's actually you're listening to remnants of the Big Bang itself, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's fascinating. They even made a whole TV show about um about it. Apparently, the Big Bang Theory and background radiation or something. I think it's a physics show. Yeah, I have to watch that sometime. I don't know what it has to do with eating. Uh, you know what the Big Bang has to do with eating Chinese food in an apartment. But well, it, it's closely you know, related. Physicist. It's closely related. You know. Um, no, okay, I can't make that work. Anyhow, so yes. <laughs> We are not comedians. Uh, no, no, we're engineers. That we had the comedian built beaten out of us at uni. <coughs> oh, I speak for myself. Anyhow, possibly. I got I got more wise ass than comedian. Oh, fine, that's okay. Partial credit. Anyhow, so yes. Um, uh, the thing about background radiation, if I remember correctly, is that there are actually there are hot spots when they map the uh, the galaxy. Looking at the background radiation, I thought there were warmer spots than others, but there was always a minimum level of background radiation, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's down at minus two or minus three Kelvin. Yeah. Or, sorry, two or three Kelvin. There's no negative Kelvin. Uh, one would hope not. Otherwise, the definition <laughs> of zero Kelvin being zero um, molecular movement. Uh, yeah, so negative ele- <laughs> negative molecular movement would be like <laughs> antimatter or something, I guess. I'm just trying to think how even that would work. That wouldn't work either. I don't know. I think we blew up the universe with negative Kelvin. Oh, that's what happened. That's where the that's where the dark matter lives, man. It's it's got the, it's true it's in the negative Kelvin the negative, region. That's what it is. There you go. Now we've we've just accounted for all the the missing matter in the uh, in the galaxy. Nice. There we go. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, there were fluctuations, but they were small fluctuations. Given you know you're going across the size of the universe, and there's a two Kelvin difference. That's that's pretty good. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because the the noise level. Uh, that you mentioned then uh, was is also express is expressed generally as um, uh, thermal. So you get like a, a thermal noise levels is is an indication. Noise temperature actually, I think, is its technical term. And so when we look around, uh, we we especially in radio astronomy, they'll talk about that, and it becomes a method of measurement of, of thermal noise in. Uh, low noise amplifiers particularly used in astronomy which is uh, is really cool i think so may as well talk about that now um so yeah so in electronics when we we talk about noise temperature as an expression of the the level of available noise power introduced by a component or a source and methods of reducing the amount of thermal noise in low noise amplifiers these days usually involves cooling the lna silicon to an extremely low temperature and originally if I remember correctly, there was liquid nitrogen. And liquid nitrogen hangs around the 63 Kelvin mark, I think is its transition temperature, I think, from memory, which is minus 210 degrees Celsius. That's minus 346 degrees Fahrenheit. So 
That's pretty cold. But the great thing about liquid nitrogen, though, is it's cheap. It's right. It's quite easy to make liquid nitrogen. These days, it's made you know in bulk. Because um, I went to um, doctor surgery, and uh, one of my one of my children had a small wart on their thumb, I think it was, or one of their fingers, anyway. And they said, "Oh, we'll just freeze that off." And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, "Freeze it off? How are you going to do that exactly? Like get an ice cube?" Silly me, had no idea that they just had a canister of liquid nitrogen out the back. And I'm like, okay, c- cool. When I was a kid, we did not have this out the back of the doctor's surgery. So, okay. And this is not Doctors a hospital. Doctors are high tech these days. No, but this is just, this is just a, a doctor's surgery, you know, like a standalone building in the middle of the street. Yeah, family practice. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, not, not a hospital, not a massive, you know, 10-story building with ventilators and resuscitators and, you know, backup generators. It's just like your average run-of-the-mill, um, you know, family practice. And there is a big vat of liquid nitrogen and I'm looking at this and I'm like oh cool that's also dangerous but anyway so they take a bit out and they put some some in a small canister they put the lid on it and it's got a nozzle on the end and all it is it's basically it's a you know flow control nozzle and now as you press down the button it just opens it up and as it reaches the end of course because the pressure's been released it comes out in a in a jet of vapor but it's highly focused and it's very very cold not minus 210 degrees Celsius cold, but certainly cold enough. And there you go, freeze the water off and drops off and it all heals and it's all good. So there you go. Anyway, that had nothing to do with liquid, uh, with low noise amplifiers, but never mind. It's noise in the show. Damn straight. <laughs> you got to extract the, extract the nuggets of useful uh, information from our babbling. Oh, that's so good. Okay, cool. Very good. So, uh, but anyway, liquid nitrogen was used for ages because it was cheap, you know, and that's fine. I totally get that. But of course, the cold. How how cold? How how low can you go? Well, go down to liquid helium. That's pretty much as cold as you're going to get in terms of uh, like you know, because liquid hydrogen is, well, you know, rocket fuel essentially. So, kind of don't think that's a safe. I don't want my doctor playing around with rocket fuel. <laughs> let me just let me just burn that off there. Oh, oh sorry, burnt your whole hand off. Sorry about that. Yeah. And the rest of the office behind me. <laughs> yeah, sorry about the hole in the wall. Yeah. Anyway, but we got rid of that wart. Anyhow, so liquid hydro, uh, liquid helium. God, I almost said hydrogen. So liquid helium, uh, it goes down to a little bit of a frosty 4.2 degrees Kelvin. So that's kind of cold. Minus 269 degrees Celsius, minus 452.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Ah, dear. And thank you for correcting those show notes as we went. Much appreciated. Um, Yes. You're welcome. Dear listener, yes, I actually had high, liquid hydrogen and he corrected the uh, tom- the uh, symbol in the periodic table to helium. That, thank you, Carmen. So, um, yes, anyway, and uh, there's a great link. Well, okay, I think it's a great link in the show notes. It's a big PDF, so brace yourself. You're going to have a look at it. And there's a chart in there that shows the thermal noise temperature relative to frequency, and it's got two plot groups, one at uh, 300 Kelvin and the other at 80 Kelvin. And that just shows the relative difference between, well, it's not quite, it's not exactly room temperature, but call it room temperature if you'd like. And of course, 80 degrees at around about, uh, around about-ish liquid nitrogen temperatures. And at 20 gigahertz for this LNA, you've, you've got about 100K uh, of difference in your noise floor. And by the time you get up to 100 gigahertz, the improvement's enormous. It's like 350K reduction in noise wow. temperature. Yeah. And that's just going to liquid nitrogen. So, Clearly, the contribution from that um, 
from the thermal noise through the silicon is reduced significantly at lower temperatures because, of course, with less right. yeah, with with less molecular movement, you know, you've got less noise being generated. It's just yeah, fantastic. So they had like forty dB of signal to noise ratio, and then they they dumped some liquid nitrogen on there, and all of a sudden it shot up to <laughs> yeah three hundred and ninety. Yeah, it basically gets to the point where you, they there's another chart in there that's really interesting as well. So uh, it it shows the um, uh, signals just above galactic noise, and prior to them using liquid nitrogen there was simply no way for them to extract that information from this extract that from the noise because the noise of the lna was drowning out the signals that they were trying to receive uh in the radio telescope so it was an enormous improvement so it's uh, that's really cool oh it's very cool oh yeah ah, very cool i could have used this on my senior design project <laughs> yeah very cool see anyway all right so yeah i always found that fascinating and um Actually, that movie Contact with, um, oh, geez, what's her name? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, thank you. Yep. Uh, amazing, amazing actress. And she did a fantastic job in that movie. And it um, it was in there, one of the things about her story was that, um, well, the story of the scientist that she played was that, you know, she she uh, helped with the uh, evolution or discovery of, um, of making the radio telescopes more uh, sensitive. And that was quoted as one of her achievements was that, uh, yeah, cooling in with liquid nitrogen. But anyway, if I remember correctly. It's a good movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, right. So, moving on to audio applications. Now, I know that I talked about audio noise way back. That was in episode eight, uh, way, way back. And that was more with respect to loud noises or maximum sound pressure levels. But I guess I now, now we're talking about noise. I just want to flip flip that on its head. And I guess the other reason is that I've been delving more into audio production these days with podcasting and microphones and amplifiers. So it's it's just I think it's it's interesting to explore just briefly while we're talking about noise. Um, so I guess fundamentally, if you mess up levels and so on in an amplifier and the no- and and the si- your your recorded okay, how do I start this? When I'm speaking to a microphone and the microphone is amplifying a signal from my voice and the sound pressure waves turning it into an electrical signal, if that signal exceeds the maximum limit of the amplifier, then it has this effect called uh, clipping. And that clipping creates a distortion. Now, technically, that distortion isn't noise. It's distortion. That's what it is. And if you've got an amplifier and the amplifier is plugged into the, the wall socket, PowerPoint, whatever you want to call it, and it's got 50 hertz or 60 hertz AC, that technically is not noise, that's interference because you're picking up that signal and it's interfering with the audio that you're trying to record. And if you're coupling, let's say you've got a uh, you know, switch mode power converter, you know, a point of use power supply or a you know switch mode power supply powering your laptop or your computer or the amplifier, whatever you're using, and it's cup and it's getting some coupling, and you're coupling some of that rectifier, some of that, some of that rectifier noise is coming directly over the power lines, even you know, or coupling is again that's interfe- it's technically it's an interference. So it's not the noise that we're talking about. And so I guess the problem I have is when people say, "Oh, you got noise in your audio." It's like, well, you have a noise <laughs> in your audio. <laughs> yes, you do, but technically it's not noise. So. Yeah, that that fifty or sixty AC hum. Yeah, you, know, you can 
you can isolate if you isolate your amplifier better. And this is hoping something I was hoping you could talk a little bit about because I know you've built some uh, built amplifiers and so on previously. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, uh, I've played around with them a little bit, but I, I work in power supplies, so I know a little bit about decoupling and you know all that good stuff. Well, see, this is the thing that that's always bugged me because when I was doing when I was in a, in amateur radio, there were a lot of people that would say, "Well, if you don't operate off of a battery," and the early radios were originally designed to be battery powered. So you had a lead acid battery at 13.8 volts floating, or you know, twenty four volts floating, whatever it was. And it was the smoothest signal you could possibly hope for. It's a battery, you know. And once you went to a base station setup, you had to uh, go with a, with a power supply and you had linear power supplies that would essentially step down the AC, run it through a, through a transformer, run it through a rectifier. And then normally you would then essentially just, uh, you'd regulate that. So you'd regulate that and you'd have a, a very, very hot diode in there <laughs> ultimately uh, and essentially try and, you smooth the top off with electronic control. Sometimes they had a bunch of smoothing circuits and it was all relatively clean if you had a good design. But then there were people that were saying, well, let's go switch mode, you know, because switch mode power supplies, I can chop it all up precisely. I can have PWM in there and I can just, I can chop it up into a thousand pieces. We'll go over a 600 volt DC bus and then we'll chop and change it back again into whatever and step it up and step it down as we need to. And, you know those sorts of switch mode supplies. You know, boost converters, buck converters, all that other, all that other good stuff. And just forget the transformer. If we use a transformer, you know, it's more for smoothing purposes than it is for actual switching purposes, depending upon the kind of converter that you've got. And you know, but all that stuff, the initial designs were so terribly. They produced so much interference. That in- yeah, we've come a long way in quieting down switch mode power circuits. Oh yeah. Oh. So. I mean, yeah, there's there's plenty of techniques depending on exactly which topology you're using. You can you can slow down the the high speed nodes that you know radiate noise everywhere, and you know the output's real easy to filter. They always say you get that ripple in there. Well, you can beat that down if you just throw giant capacitors on there. Big tantalums, that, right? That has its own. What was that? <laughs> Big tantalums, huh? Yes, yes. Tantalums or even ceramics do pretty well nowadays. You can you can get a. I got some 47 microfarad caps in a 603 package on my bench at work, in a, in a, which, is, in a which is very small for those of you. Yeah, 603 package is 6 mils by 3 mils, and 47 mics is a pretty large value to get in such a small package. Yeah, that is. That's a ceramic. Yes. Nice. Man. Yeah, it's uh, without turning this into a capacitor episode, yeah, it's an <laughs> X5R dielectric. Nice. Where were they when? So not not top of the line, but still pretty good. Where were those things when works, I was doing? Works this? for my work. I, I haven't. Uh, see, the thing is, it, it's it. Mm. It almost makes it too easy to use those. You got to find customers who would pay to have that capacitor because it's still pretty new and you know relatively hard to find. Yeah, the, the good engineers design well with the, the cheap caps. Yeah, well, it, it becomes a trade off, right? Because you, your trade off is how much cost you want to put in to to essentially simplify your design. But you know straight up you're going to have a far more expensive and, uh, I mean, how many suppliers actually supply them? What are their stock levels? And, you know, there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of the variables. And Yeah, the end application makes a big difference too. If it's if customers build in a standard laptop, uh, you know, they have a little bit more space. But some of these new tablet designs I've helped work on, the motherboard is just insanely small. And they'll, they'll pay because there's just no room to put more caps on. 
Yeah, well, that's exactly right. People don't realize. They, they think that yeah, we can just keep miniaturizing and making this stuff smaller and smaller. It's like, well, actually, there's some you do hit the wall at some point. You need some new technology like you know some of these higher capacity uh, capacitors that are actually made of something other than tantalum. I mean, tantalum's good and bad, right? I mean, when, when I was doing at Nortel, we had no end of trouble with tantalum caps and we reached the point in our designs where we banned them. Uh, for it, for it. Yes, they, they have improved those too. Uh, mm. I, I don't have all my capacitor notes on me, but it was because there was a lot of oxygen in the, the design of the chemicals for the capacitor. So when yep. they would blow up, they would burn, but they, they've moved away from that. Yeah, when they burnt, they burnt good. I mean, we had, we had, I mean, circuit boards literally. I think we had like a six ply board, uh, six layer board that was, um, that had, literally had a hole burnt through it. Not like, not a huge gaping hole, but you could see light through it you know from a tantalum that that lost its, lost its lid it's and we, we had years of statistical data saying you know this the tantalums are bad stop using them i know that they've come, come a long way that was 90 jeez oh that was 99 2000 i think it was so it was 15 years ago so i know things have changed yeah. for tantalums they're not they're, yeah they've, they've come a long way they got no burn tantalums that fell uh open instead of short yeah that's that's a step forward <sighs> it's become the capacitor episode, making noise about caps. Yes, it has. More noise. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, terrible. Anyway, all right, good. So, um, all right, anyway, so where were we? We are talking about uh, amplifiers and, okay, AC hums and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Yes, yes. The The main point of all that ranting and sidetracking was if you, if you lay out your circuit properly, if you use some low-noise design techniques, if you really know your power supply stuff, you can get rid of the 60 hertz hum. Yeah, exactly. But there really is no excuse. And uh, honestly, it's it's interesting because uh, people say, oh, well, I'm, I'm plugging in this amplifier and this amplifier is plugged into USB. Oh, but how come it's got noise on it? Because USB is just like 5 volt DC. And isn't it like, well, yeah, but what's powering the 5 volts? It's probably a switch mode supply and it's probably not it's, the cleanest. And It's definitely a switch mode supply. Yeah. And it's like, well, then, hmm. But it's battery powered. Yeah, what voltage is the battery and what voltage is, okay, so it's 5 volts on USB and your battery's, oh, look at that, it's 12-volt battery. So, okay, how to get to 5 volts and then the penny drops. So anyway. We want to do an episode on battery chargers. They are so cool. They are, actually. They are very cool, especially the lithium ones. But uh, anyway, all right, uh, another topic for another day, Carmen. So, if uh, on, on the amplifiers, I guess, uh, the other thing about amplifiers I was saying before about clipping, just a little bit more about that, it's uh, you want to amplify a signal in its linear region, obviously, because if it's if you're amplifying in a non-linear region of the amplifier, then you're going to get uh, distortion, and that distortion is going to be interference over the final signal that you're trying to amplify, and the flat topping is the worst, you know, or clipping is the worst, because ultimately, as, um, as Mr. Fourier said, uh, and we actually talked about this relatively recently on episode 64 about software radios and if you want to learn more about you know Fourier transforms and so on. But it, it'll clipping causes wide spectrum interference uh, because, you know, square signals equal bad and that's bad. So anyway, if you want to know more about that, then have a listen to that episode. So lots of crossovers in other episodes here, but still. But in the end, I guess, for most spoken uh, audio anyway, once you consider the noise that's introduced by transmission and then recreation through speakers or headphones, I guess there's no reason to get liquid nitrogen-cooled preamps for your mic, but I'm sure there's someone who's going to build one and they'll sell it because gold-plated stuff sells too, right, on the same kind of you know snake oil idea that it actually makes a difference. But anyhow, never mind that. 
Um, can you imagine? <laughs> I have a lick. I have a liquid nitrogen powered amplifier for my mic. That's that's what I'm speaking into right now. <sighs> that's why you sound so good. Anyway, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I've also lined the walls of my room with gold, so I get proper sound isolation and oh man, maximum interference. Yeah, I'm lacking. I don't have enough gold in my life. Anyway, that's all right. That works on two levels. Okay, human hearing is this. It's just. It's very imperfect. It's one of those things, though, that's kind of cool the way it works and the decibel scale and everything. Again, we covered this way back in episode eight. But um, zero dB on the sound pressure level scales calibrated to the minimum amount of sound pressure that a human can hear. And that's at one kilohertz because why not? Um, 1,000 hertz, I guess, uh, which is roughly not quite the middle of the human hearing range, but certainly it's a good enough point as any. And uh, that pressure is 2 by 10 to the minus 5 pascals of pressure. And that's measured at one atmosphere. So... Seems like an incredibly small amount of pressure. uh, Yeah. And the human ear can detect it. That's the threshold of human hearing. So... How far away is that? That's like beyond a whisper. Yeah, I know. That's at the ear level. That's actually at the ear entrance to the ear canal. That's how much, how close you got to be to hear that. Because about 10, 10 dB, more than that, is uh, rustling leaves blowing in the ground, so just quite rustling of the leaves. So yeah, it's hmm. it's very very soft. But the funny thing is, even at those sorts of levels, um, it, the limits of human hearing obviously being out what they are. There's there reaches a point very quickly. There's no additional benefit uh, of putting more and more money into better and better he- headphones or amplifiers or microphones. Yeah. Again, not just not just recording side of it, but the recreation for the listening side of it as well, because you never improve beyond a certain point, uh, because the average person will not be able to tell the difference. And if you've got tinnitus like I've got it, then it's not even that that worth it, that amount of, amount of you know money and effort, because you know the the tin, to overcome the sound of the tinnitus, the signal has to be at a certain level, and I'd never hear the noise anyway. I just think it was the tinnitus, and oh dear. Well, I'm actually undergoing an operation next month to get uh, liquid nitrogen-cooled bionic ears. Oh, so none nice. of this applies to me. Nice. Well, let's just hope yeah. the liquid nitrogen doesn't leak because that could be really bad. <laughs> but anyhow... Brain freeze. <laughs> just when you thought Slurpees are the only things that could give you brain freezes. <sighs> I haven't had a Slurpee in a while. God, yeah, it's the wrong time of year for you. But anyway... Okay, so um, I, actually on the tinnitus front, I found something recently that blood sugar level can actually make tinnitus worse. So there you go. If I've, oh, interesting. Yeah, I found out that recently, like recently in the last couple of months. So there you go. Like too high or too low? Uh, too much blood sugar. So if your blood sugar is too high, then your tinnitus gets worse. So so I've discovered. So I'm now using my tinnitus level as a way of gauging if I've had too much sugar. Yeah, surprisingly accurate. But anyway, I'm on it. So... So if you have a Slurpee, which is full of sugar, your tinnitus would get worse, but you're colder, so it should make it better. <sighs> nah, uh, now you're trying to get fancy. Slurpees, Slurpees are even. They're neutral. They cancel out. Uh, if only it were like that. No, actually, what I've done on the on the subject of Slurpees is I've actually switched to the uh, the 1% sugar ones, so they're really low. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so they're, they uh, 7-Eleven. We actually have 7-Eleven over here these days. I uh, didn't when I was a kid, but we do now, and uh, they'll have a Slurpee there that's, uh, that's always the... Um, yeah, the low calorie, low jewel, low whatever you want to call it version. So that's always the one I get if I get one. I think I've I've had maybe three or four this whole summer. We're almost at the end of summer now, so you know. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're not so bad. But anyway, there you go. I actually don't have too much more to say actually about the subject. I guess other than the fact that you can't escape noise. It's just a fact of 
the fact molecular noise, you'll always get it. You can't fight it. You can't escape it. It'll always be there. And unless you want to go on liquid cool stuff with liquid nitrogen or liquid helium, you'll never really reduce it significantly. Different technologies, different amplifiers are better at not producing as much. But honestly, you know, just just be aware also that the the trade-offs, I mean, it made a big difference in radio astronomy because they're trying to pull signals down from the galactic noise level and the amplifiers were just too loud. Now they're not because they cool them. But for audio systems, it makes no very, very little difference. You spend like $100 on a microphone. It's probably about all you really need to spend to get a decent noise performance out of it. It's amplifier, maybe a couple hundred bucks. Headphones, you know, 30, 40 bucks. You know, you don't have to spend stupid amounts of money. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say, really. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Low noise design is pretty interesting. My my senior design in school was uh, a low noise system. We were measuring, we, we were use, designing a low noise system to measure noise on transistors. Cool. Yeah. And it was, it was driving the senior design people nuts because our project did not fit into the rubric that they thought it should follow. You know, why didn't you choose this amplifier? The noise is too high. But what about the other features? It doesn't matter. <laughs> so did they make, they made a lot of noise about it? Yes, they did. <laughs> oh, yeah, we actually met the noise specs, but the power specs were not uh, not met at all. We were sucking through nine volt batteries like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, well, that's okay. You just always plug it into a power supply on the wall. Uh, hang on. <laughs> that was given given the lab setup we had to install this in. That really was easier said than done. Oh man. But, yeah, it, the the nine volts lasted just long enough to take like one measurement. And then you had to replace the nine volts. It's very expensive. That's still pretty cool, though. Uh, one of the things that um, friend of mine did because he had um, uh, he had noisy. It was a noisy linear uh, linear power supply for his uh, base station setup years ago. Is is he actually had a solar power a solar panel for charging uh, a battery bank outside his window, and he also had the you know mains charger as well. So he would never operate off the mains. He would only have operate off the battery, but he would use the mains to charge the battery. When he wanted to use his radio, he would turn off the charger and then he would simply operate the, the radio from the batteries, which would also sometimes get a trickle charge from solar panels. So that was the way he got the cleanest possible signal. Mind you, he could have just bought, he could have just bought a, you know, a better quality power supply, but <laughs> that was the other option. Yeah. <laughs> the engineering to work around the poor power supply is way better. Well, I mean, it had the virtue of being very successful. It worked quite well, but you know, and he had a very clean signal. Good for him. But yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. I just, we were trying to reduce our power consumption and you know, uh, battery draw by. You know, we we couldn't really put anything to sleep because we were measuring one over f noise, and you know, we said it falls off with one over the frequency roughly, um, and. The, the corner frequency where the 1 over F noise meets the thermal noise for our transistors was at like 100 hertz. So to get a good uh, signal, you know, a good characterization of this noise, you had to measure down in like millihertz and, you know, just long time scales. So you couldn't put anything to sleep or you'd ruin the measurement. Oh, uh, okay. So you, you almost had to be active the whole time. Ah, uh, cool. Excellent. Yeah, and our digital stuff that we did shut down to not, you know, couple in on the measurement uh, – that that didn't have to do anything anyways. That was like nothing on our current draw. That's pretty cool. I um yeah. I wish I had yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I sort of um yeah, we did uh, I did some noise factor measurements uh way, way back um on an experimental board that never saw the light of day. Uh but it was interesting stuff. 
And uh, oh dear. But anyway, oh, enough about that. I didn't have too much else to add, so we might wrap it up there. I think uh, for this one. Okay. Yeah. So before we throw in more noise to the podcast. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think we've I think we've well and truly beaten that one that pun to death too. But that's okay. We're just going to keep running with it. <sighs> if you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi, or you can follow at Pragmatic Show to specifically see show announcements and other related stuff. Uh, as you know, Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network, and it also has an account at Engineered underscore Net that has uh, show announcements about the network and all the shows, and you can check them all out at Engineered.network today. Uh, people are really loving causality and that's a solo podcast if you haven't heard already and that I do and it looks at cause and effect of major events in history so if you're a fan of this show you may like it too so be sure to check it out Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with Carmen uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you mate Uh, best way to get in touch with me is either on Twitter uh, I'm at fake eequips or you can uh, go to my other podcast website, uh, The Engineering Commons, and there's a contact form there as well. Fantastic. And if you're not subscribed to The Engineering Commons, you definitely should. Uh, if you're an engineer, you will love it. There is no question. So, uh, But anyway, if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, please use the feedback form on the website. And that's where you also find the show notes for this episode. So if you are enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can, like one of our backers, Chris Stone, he and many other uh, others are patrons of the show via Patreon, and you can find that at patreon.com slash johnchigi, or one word. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it's all very much appreciated. So a special thank you to our patrons, and a big thank you to everyone for listening, and as always, sir, uh, thank you, Carmen. All right, thank you, John. Always a pleasure doing the show with you. Thanks, mate.